0: your source for Warhammer Underworlds and under 30 old friends fondly returning to the board and the game. We uh, are coming to you today. Uh, I'm your co-host, Davey. And with me, I have a pretty full house. I've got Josh. How are you, Josh? I'm doing well, Davey. Brian, how are you? what's up, what's up? Doing well. Skylar. Excited for another reason for new players to get into this game. Excellent. And uh, one more, a guest, but one known to listeners of this network. Uh, Eric, how are you? I'm
1: doing great. And hopefully uh, since uh, episode 19, I'll have something important to say. Or like I've done something uh, since uh, I appeared on the last episode.
0: Just a hot second ago. I -hmm. did not do the groundwork to look up when the last time you were on. I think you were on for a uh, rules of thumb sort of thing, something like that. Yeah, that was episode 19, August of 2019.
1: So it's well, been about four well, years.
0: Yep. Uh, hardly hardly a thing has happened in those four <laughs> years. So. Uh, we are coming to you. Uh, we're actually recording on the 28th of May. So this is one of the uh, biggest lead times we've done in a long time. But uh, it's because this starter set is in our hands. And we wanted to kind of demonstrate how it is uh, for uh, bringing it to a returning player or, or somebody who just basically hasn't played in a long time. Uh, so somebody who's familiar in that person is Eric, Eric, uh, That's me. we'll, we'll talk to you a little bit more about your, uh, your background with the game, uh, just so we've got a, a baseline. Um, uh, as always, we, we'd say thanks to GW for a review copy of this, so that we were able to kind of create this content, get that laid out for you. That's, uh, made possible by that also made by possible by all the, uh, people listening, passing it on and, uh, our, our generous patrons. Uh, you should be getting this on the 17th of June. Uh, and so if there is like some seismic thing that has happened in Underworlds in the interim and we're not referencing it, well, now you know why. It's because we just don't care. No. Uh, but that's uh, that's that. We're going to do some quick community shout outs, our usual pieces, and we'll kind of launch into the episode itself. Uh, who's got something they want to shout out here? Uh, I've got an unrelated shout out, but the...
2: Uh, independent characters podcast is returning from their second hiatus. Uh, just glad to see them back. They're a narrative Warhammer 40 K uh, and age of Sigmar, but primarily 40 K podcast. Uh, a lot of dads, a lot of
0: dad energy. Uh, just glad to see them back in the show. Yeah. I I'm glad uh, Aaron does not listen to this. Otherwise he would set his secret police on you for uh, referencing 40 K content on this network. But um, that's uh uh, you're safe, I think. Uh, no, but really that that's, a uh, uh, Eric, you're familiar with these guys, right? That's a narrative bent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been
1: nice, uh, kind of getting, uh, into some 40 K like throughout the years, having a 40 K narrative podcast to listen to just to get a little bit of buzz off of it without having to invest in the whole system. Just dip your toe in, dip your toe in.
0: Yeah uh we have locally started up our league had their first week this uh this past week we had a uh, cool showing there um so thanks to noble knight games for uh giving us space to do that in we had uh, 10 folks out and uh i got to return to some old favorites got some weird uh weird got some worm spat out uh plenty of weird puns thrown and thrown around and then uh, a little uh Ah, uh, Grimwatch, uh, pure rivals for uh, Vince, who is who's is back out for the first time in a long time. It's pretty awesome. What's your um, plan for the Worm Spat, there, Davy? Uh, just just a little tinkering. I feel like there's some control builds possible, and that always uh gets my interest.
3: I'm just saying, if you uh did a Toxic Terrors build with them, they would be the weird Spat.
0: <laughs> that's true. Yep, that'd be pretty thematic. I, I do have some Toxic in there because they that's not a plot locked deck, so. Um when you're building for championship the the uh much of the world is your oyster for card selection. Um uh, and then Skylar, I think uh we're contractually obligated uh, to have you plug uh, our upcoming event.
4: Absolutely. Uh August 13th uh which is a Sunday, we are hosting the Mad Town Throwdown for Quarter 3 and that is going to be a championship uh best of 3 event. And we have a uh, page already built up for it. You can go uh, visit our page, uh, see our our breakdown of the event there. Uh, We have some prize support uh, that is only hinted at uh, on the page so far. And there will be a reveal on that as we get closer to the event. Sweet. Uh, we would normally do our, what the hex is going on with you, but,
0: uh, it's been league and it's been the subject of this episode. So we're going to forego that unless somebody has something burning a hole in their pocket. Actually, this is a good time, Eric. Uh, everybody knows about the underworlds we've been doing. You are involved with dogs of war cry podcast. Why don't you give us a little uh, glimpse at what dogs of war cry has been doing?
1: Yeah. Um, the dogs of war cry is a age of Sigmar war cry Podcast. Warcry is a cinematic skirmish game. Um, uh, similar in size, maybe a little bit bigger. You can play war bands between uh like five, you know, six and twelve, uh, so a little bit different than Underworlds. Um, but we cover a lot of narrative, we cover a lot of um kind of the new uh lore that as it comes out. And this year's been a really good year for Warcry. We've had four big boxes in the Gnarlwood, same setting that, that you guys are in. Yeah. Um and a lot of fun seeing how far we're going in this season and kind of hopes for what's coming next. So uh, we've also got a starting box uh, coming out this summer. So um, we're going to be in the same boat, kind of a new entry point to uh, get new players in. And so, yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Mm, cool. I think I had missed that. There's so it's a it's a starter set like uh, unlike these kind of um, GUR boxes that I make. Yeah. Out, but... So it's going to be uh, so the GUR boxes have been sort of two
1: full war bands. Uh, bespoke, brand new, uh, never seen before, with uh, kind of a tables worth of tall terrain, lots of platforms, and that sort of stuff. This next starter is actually going to have, um, and I apologize because I don't know the names well. Um, Zandires, so it's going to feature two uh, Underworld Warbands as Warcry Warbands. Ooh, uh, so Zandires, Truth Seekers, and the Curse or the Vampires. Um, okay, Curse Bloods, no. Uh, are, Crimson oh, Court probably. Crimson Court. Uh, and it'll come with uh, kind of a paperboard and some uh, terrain that's uh, reminiscent of the mausoleum set. So like fences, uh, uh, wrought iron fences and that sort of thing. So lighter on the terrain, but sort of um, in a lower price point of entry. Um, and so, yeah, looking forward to seeing how they approach that because this is a little bit new for us. Um, uh, we, we've had underworlds all the underworld's war bands are playable in Warcry. they've got rules for it and it's really fun to use them as unique characters or conversions um but this is our first time kind of uh getting them as a intentional release i think for Warcry.
0: cry hmm. okay well cool yeah uh well we're gonna get into the uh starter set here uh our starter set which is out uh there were we kind of uh put the word out here for um for who among the network might want to try it out, either uh, some some of our players, uh, so Pavement was disqualified from uh, being on this because he he actually plays a fair amount. Uh, we're looking for people who had never played before or hadn't played in a very long time. Uh, and Eric, you raised your hand. Yeah. Uh, why don't you uh, Why don't you give us a little background on uh, on your how familiar you are with uh, with Underworlds? How much How much would you say you've played? Uh, and coming in, how much, how comfortable you, were you with, uh, being able to run a game, yeah. um, outside of this?
1: So, um, I think, you know, probably talked about before Davey and I, you and I were grabbing the, the initial box, the Shadespire box when it, when it came out and playing games of that. I think our first game of that was at Holy Havoc, maybe, um, mm-hmm. playing doubles. And maybe that story has been told a bit, um, and so I played a lot of Sepulchral Guard, um, uh, which made uh, part of the reason I raised my hand to, to jump in this one, because I've been listening to you guys, and there's always... Uh, we can talk about, you know, kind of why I'm on the outside looking in. Um, uh, but uh, when I... The Rivals decks and, and these kind of ready-to-go decks that are also like, uh, I guess stand up to other decks, you know, they're, they're, they're viable. It's not a lot of deck building aspect. Mm-hmm. It lets you jump in quick and to have that kind of come out for the sepulchral sepulchral guard was really interesting to me. So I raised my hand for that. Um, last time, so like I said, it was 2019 was when I was kind of still like that rule of thumb was still a little bit of a teaching me. Cause I was out of it a little bit. Then I popped back in a little bit when, um, uh, Thundrix Privateers came out and, and played them a little bit in League um, when it was at the Warhammer store um, and played for maybe a season. Uh, unfortunately, Warcry came out right after that, I think. So 20, I think that came out in 2019 as well, um, which sort of swept me over uh, for for a while and creating a new podcast and all that kind of stuff. So, um, But yeah, so I, I and it was great. Uh, Skylar and I went... When looking at the game, we, he gave me a little bit of a refresher and we did a little bit of a history or try to figure out, OK, when did that change? When did that change? And mm-hmm. so there's some really there's also some really cool mechanical changes to the game that I really like. and um, uh, We can get into those as we as we bump into them.
0: So uh, rolling up on the day, if, if you didn't know that you were going to be playing in the starter set, would you have felt comfortable? Like what are you yeah. are you familiar with how that there's like uh uh, I always want to say relic, but that's not it. Rivals, rivals, nemesis, championship. Are you familiar with the distinction on that, or is that kind of hazy? Uh, well, I, as an educated
1: listener to what the hex, uh, uh, I do, I do keep up a little bit on what's going on and that, you know, kind of what those differences are. Um, so, I, you know, I, one of the sticking points for me in the past has been the kind of. Uh, the wide array of of de- the deck building has been in- intimidating for me uh, mm. i guess i'll put it that way uh, and i'm not a collector of everything and so uh uh that was one reason that i kind of stuck away but in terms of the things that i felt confident in were you know the the rounds of play you know i'm dealing with um power cards and uh glory cards um you know I, I was kind of familiar with the turn sequence and how how the flow of the game is but i knew that some of that would change because some of that's gotten from listening to you guys some of that's gotten more ironed out and you know what the order of things which again can be intimidating but sure. once you once you go through it a couple of times it feels very you know feels very good to have that ironed out um and so well one so i i feel like the game hadn't probably hadn't changed so much that I wouldn't know what kind of game I'm playing or when it would still feel like shades or feel like Underworlds.
0: Mm. Um, you can call it Shadespire. <laughs> one of our, one of our favorite guys ever, Steven Van had a blog called call it Shadespire. So <laughs> um, it. I mean, I, I mean
1: the, one of the coolest settings ever of AOS. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew that these guys were going to be uh go easy on me and, and walk me through. So I, I wasn't too worried about it. I, um, uh, I'm an adventurous type, uh, so so I was ready to kind of make mistakes and that sort of thing. But I'll say it felt, once we got into the game, I felt like, and I think, Skylar, you may have commented on it too, of like it felt it felt very familiar once I mm-hmm. got into it. It didn't feel like a completely different game or anything like that.
4: Um, and that felt really good. Yeah, I, I think I said at the time uh, that watching you play was akin to uh, maybe you found that old pair of slippers that you loved that, you know, got stored away in a closet. You forgot about them. Slipped, it slipped right back into them. Oh yeah. Nice and yeah, cozy. It's cozy. I, I can only
0: assume there were lots of like, uh, there's, there's the goofy Prince of dust voices that, did that come out?
4: <laughs> it should have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. He has a
3: voice. Uh, <laughs> Please share. The Prince immediately. Of, the Prince of dust didn't
1: play a, a pivotal role. And so there was no point in which he needed to announce himself. Okay. Uh, All right. So it, it's a it's a narrative thing. You really okay. you you yeah. didn't you didn't earn it. I guess I'll say that <laughs> oh,
4: the Prince <laughs> of Dust didn't earn it. <laughs> what did come to the table was an amazing conversion and paint job on this Warband that uh, is going to need to get pictured because it was fantastic. Mm. The Warden especially uh, was a highlight of mine. Brian, I'll let you talk about the Prince of Dust here. Uh, the Warden he had fixed um, this. Uh, what would you call the, like a burning brazier? a brazier? Thank you. Uh, this brazier crown on him. And with red being the primary color throughout, uh, all of the models, then having this bright blue brazier, like looking like anime hair coming off the warden, (laughs) it, it looked fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the so there's a hex wraith um, uh, head swap so one of the champions of the hex wraiths which are a uh, spectral horse riders uh, for the night haunt in AOS um, which I think are still around maybe not um, they are. yeah it's a I have to convert some things um, uh, but yeah thank you
0: uh, Skylar, you uh, before we dive into the set itself and, and your guys experience you, uh, you're someone who's taught this game a lot as, as much as any of us, if not more, um, from your perspective as someone who's teaching the game, uh, what, what do you find to be like the, the challenges, uh, if not unique, then maybe particular to underworlds or, or, uh, notable with, uh, teaching underworlds to, a uh, new player and here you can reference a returning player, uh, or, you know, somebody who's new to the game altogether, um, and we'll, we'll use that as a framework to kind of talk about how that starter set helps or does not help that situation.
4: Yeah, uh, great question, because there are two things that spring straight to mind that this uh, playthrough guide actually addresses. Mm. So the first thing is variability. Actually, it's, it's both things. Uh, <laughs> it's just in two different forms. Uh, one is variability in your cards, and then the other is variability in dice. Uh, so uh, card players have a little bit of like forgiveness towards this concept, but it doesn't necessarily even with that forgiveness generate a good first play experience if instead of learning and uh, interacting with the game on your first time with it, you're just getting you know the bottom side of probability and variability mm-hmm. throughout the course of the game. Uh, so in underworlds that can look like a handful of upgrades. Even after a mulligan, that can look like, you know, that third end phase card snuck into your hand right out of the gate, or a handful of end phases, and you have no surge targets uh, during your round, um, or uh, every time the experienced player at the table rolls their dice, they get a crit somehow. <laughs> I don't know why. It's I'm confident it's a universal rule of the game. Is mm. if there's a newer returning player at the table across from an experienced player, the experienced player is going to get the dice luck. I don't know why. <laughs> I,
0: I did uh, I did welcome Vint back to league by rolling three consecutive uh, single crit defense on uh, on like a, the butcher or something to the extent that I was like calling my shots later. I'm like, what what are you even doing attacking this guy, Vent? You know he's going to roll a crit and then he'd roll a crit. Like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm sorry man.
3: <laughs> hey uh, yeah. Brian, would you like to share with the class?
0: Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Go
2: on. I mean, you have a way worse track record than I do. <laughs> yeah, but mine wasn't today. Oh. Well that. About that
4: later.
1: <laughs> there, there were there were a few crits on the side of the um the stormcast today, but mm. um but I, that's neither here nor there this time. I, okay.
4: I would say they were less uh problematic in this scenario. And I think part of that is um the returning player was playing a warband in abundance a warband that doesn't mind taking hits like that yeah uh so if i were sitting somebody down to play this game for the first time i think i might actually lean them towards playing uh the sepulchre guard simply because uh, death isn't the end for a unit in fact it might be part of your game plan Mm. so it it hurts a little less when those crits sneak through, and they're going to, uh, you know, from a probability standpoint, be more present across the table because they're throwing three swords a lot.
1: And I might say to you, if, if I can, for anybody who's a Warcry player listening, um, having seven Models is familiar to a Warcry player, mm. and having some of them be disposable, we call them you know chaff. I think you guys call them dangle bros sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, kind of it's it's okay for them to get taken out. It can be part of the, the 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 strategy, and it's better for the, some of those to get taken out than other things, you know. Um, so I think it, I think sepulchral guard is a pretty good one uh, in that regard of like letting go of some of those thoughts of. I, whether losing a guy is important or not? Maybe not as relevant for your first game if you're playing sepulchral guard. Um, yeah, and figuring out with later warbands when loss is okay and when loss is you know too much.
4: You know, and I'm actually going to double down on that recommendation. Uh, if you have, if you're an experienced player sitting down with this starter set, uh, teaching somebody else, uh, and they don't, ex- they aren't expressly interested in playing Far Striders because I'm always uh, an advocate for let them play the one they're the most excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they could go either way, uh, encourage them to try Sepulchral Guard um, because of what we just described. And then if there's two people being introduced to the game via the starter set, uh, walk through the playthrough because the playthrough will do the work of balancing that experience out for you. And uh, to this- Go ahead. Well, this is a good time to
0: to mention it. So that playthrough booklet, can you explain exactly what's going on with that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what it does is without any prep work, you don't need to sit down and study. You and another person who's never played this game before uh, can sit down, crack open this book. It is um, a long book. Uh, And by that, I mean, so we've got 50 four pages of content that's not uh, a daunting amount of content in the sense that like you don't need to read it going into this it's not 54 pages that need to be studied it's 54 well thought out pages to guide you through it and i the reason i bring up the page count is simply to show you how much effort they put into describing uh, this experience and the thoughtfulness of guiding you through it you don't need to know a single thing. Uh, it will introduce you to every concept. You know, It doesn't need to introduce you to attacking until it has the first you know, attack happen in the playthrough. So it'll set up the boards for you, set up the objectives, draw your initial hands to make sure that these are the hands that you have to look at. And uh, as you're playing through, these cards will be played from your hand. These cards will be scored from your hand. Um, per this script uh Uh, that will walk you through so it's it's kind
0: of like i mean you can almost think of it as a sort of scripted battle report that you you play along uh that you can you can move your own pieces along in synchronicity with it happening that's a very
2: or or they just gave you a uh picture and text battle report to read through when you open the book and you're like you know whether you can find a battle report online. That's a video report or not. That's good at teaching new players. They just gave you one so that you have something guaranteed to teach you. I, uh,
0: I think I, and I may have said this on the, on the cast before, but I, I think, uh, I think that's pretty savvy. I remember one of the things I was most voracious for right when I was learning. I mean, I'm thinking all the way back to when it was, uh, four war bands in the game, I would consume any battle report I could find, uh, just cause I, Wanted to see more reps. I wanted to see stuff play through, and to have one like in the box with it is is a pretty uh, slick move.
4: Yeah, um, a, a pictured and written out battle report is a great way to describe this. Um, but I wouldn't stop there. You know, I'd emphasize that throughout the battle report, they make sure to teach you every concept and to make sure that you know there aren't scenarios where cards don't see play because they're going to guide you through everything they want you to see. And they want you to think about how it could have gone differently. Sure. Eric, as someone who has
0: uh, played a bunch of different games uh, in in the AOS Games Workshop universe, uh, I know you guys didn't use this booklet. Is this a concept? Does it feel like a concept that is kind of uniquely positioned to be useful for Underworlds? I, I have a hard time picturing this being a thing that you could include in a Warcry box, or, or do you think that would work, like in whatever this uh, Warcry starter is that's coming? Yeah, so uh,
1: certainly different. In, in the most recent um, kind of sets where they'd have two warbands and some terrain, they would have some sample, um, like they'd have a what they'd call a campaign arc, and so it was like, play this set of... Um, you know, battle plans first, your victory condition and your twist, and all that kind of stuff. And so they give you some guides so that you have something to jump into. You're not wondering what to do. Um, it doesn't have the same walkthrough, hey, play this, play that, mm-hmm. um, which I think can could be uh, helpful. Whenever I also do a lot of demos, I love doing demos. Um, and there's a couple of um, victory conditions that I prefer when doing demos that also sort of take, you know, just attacking like as the most important thing off the table, like it blurs a little bit. The the one I like to play is called high ground and it's you score when you get your models on higher platforms. And so Mm. it's just, it gives you a chance to do movement. It gives you a chance to just play all the pieces of the game uh, and think through them. Um, And, and I'm often giving them spaces to use their abilities throughout it. And so I think that's really important. Is it like, it walks you through all the mechanics and lets you see all the different things that the, the war band can do highlights it. I have to do that manually when I do demos for Warcry. cry, it would be cool to have sort of a, I guess a walkthrough of, um, I, I mean, they, we do war band building instead of deck building. And so they give you sort of, here's your war band with the, with those bespoke starter boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a few things that they sort of feed you. Um, but, walking through the use of the abilities would be missing. Like what, uh, the steps and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's really cool.
0: Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna pitch this one to Josh and Brian as uh, as folks who've kind of read the cards and watched a playthrough. Uh, the selection of these two war bands, the Sepulchral Guard and the Forest Riders. How do you feel about that uh, from, you know, balance and complexity and representation uh, of, of sort of archetypes on in the, in the game. Um, we'll start with, uh, Josh, maybe, um, do you feel like they got it right? Or do you feel like there's something that could be tweaked on it or what, what's your thoughts?
3: Uh, let me just clarify and make sure I understand the question you're okay. asking. How, how do we feel about the like matchup out of the box?
0: Yeah. How do, how, how do you feel about, uh, GW having selected these two factions? So these factions individually and, or as a matchup. Uh, so
3: I, having played Sepulchral Guard in the past, and just at times how oppressive they can be, with Hold, I was a little, a little hesitant. I did not think far Striders were going to perform admirably as a good matchup. That being said, that w- once we got into recognizing that, hey, these are two like refreshed warbands. I think I think it's a great matchup. Like it's it's definitely better than, you know, Gnarl Spirit Pack versus Sons of Elmore by a long shot.
0: If, if we're sitting the bar low. Yeah.
3: I know, low bar. Yeah. But I think these are two war bands. First and foremost, we've been talking about that that scripted experience. I think that scripted experience is very well tuned. They have it. Uh, spoilers! Don't listen for the next like ten seconds. They have it with the stormcast coming out on top, but Skylar can speak a little bit to this. It's by one glory, and they encourage you to look back at, hey, what if the dice had rolled different? What if okay. you know, Sepulchral Guard had made this one tweak in their their uh, their strategy, and kind of gives that like uh, backwards thinking of, okay, how could I have improved that gameplay? rather than what the experience used to be, which was, wow, all of this sucks. Maybe I should do something about yeah. it, I guess, maybe.
0: Uh so Brian, I'm gonna ambush you a little bit with a more complicated question. When when we're giving a uh if you know let's say you were moderating a game between two people who are kind of learning it, uh it's, it's often a good idea to give them like, Hey, here's generally what you want to do. Here's, you know, you, you're, there's going to be a lot of information coming at you with cards. You don't, you know, experienced players, they know what objectives they're going to draw into so they can start working towards things that they, they don't even have in their hand yet. Um, how, what, what's the, what's the kind of two or three sentence pep talk you give for each warband to somebody's, you know, to the sepulchral guard player to say, here's what you want to try to do and then do that same thing for the far striders. Yeah, for Spokal Guard, it's you want to hold objectives, score points reliably.
2: Uh, don't worry about losing fighters, they're expendable, and you can get them back. And for far Striders, it's like you have to outpace that reliable scoring uh, with aggro. Fair enough. Uh, as as far ahead. as uh, how the two pair, uh, hmm. initially when the box was announced, I was like, I don't know if Farstriders, like, while well, they're not a, like, top contender warband i was like i don't know if they're a warband that would have thought needed to be fixed for like the overall meta of the game or balance um Mm -hmm. i think there was other warbands that could have used a rewrite more um so i was a little like okay why are Striders here but then after playing i was like these are actually pretty well balanced uh even like in the scenario in the book uh they're pretty well matched but then as we played it out it was Pretty well matched. Um, I thought they added a lot to both warbands to make them uh, feel like they they didn't feel like season one clunk in Mm. the new, like, what are we, season six? Yeah. Uh,
0: So, yeah, it it was a good pairing, Uh, real good matchup. Yeah, I think you get to showcase a horde that holds, uh, you get to uh, showcase an elite that wants to fight, and you get to see just how useful having range three or higher attacks can be uh, in certain situations so
4: absolutely and with a low warband uh model count on the far side that range three gives them the utility to mess with the sepulcher guards game plan mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: It gives them the reach
1: uh and- good i was just gonna say i think that that's one of the, th- the things that may have shined about this matchup is it gave you the ability to interact with all the different rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we had knockback in, you know, some of the sepulchral guard have knockback and cleave and scythe and, you know, Grievous was in there and, and like all of the different pieces are represented in these two warbands bands range and um, uh, whatever the revive or bring back to, you know, mechanic. So you sort of get, with these two, you get introduced to a lot of different things that I think you'll see in other war bands as you explore beyond it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of cool to have examples, concrete examples uh, to be able to experience in your first couple of
4: games. Sure. And to jump into your first couple of games, the way this rule book or the uh, playthrough is laid out. First off, you open up your starter set and it has in bold on the front, read this first. <laughs> and so you'll read through it, and uh, you know right away, it sets you uh, into playing the game, into getting a pre-staged board set up, and all the way through your three rounds. So as soon as you hit the end of your three rounds, it asks you the question, what next? Uh, and it encourages you to play through the game once more. That's step one. Uh, they have four steps here. So step one, play through this exact game walk through, you know, page one, you know, all the way to, this is page 50, right? Mm. Uh, Step back through it. Now that you know, then hopefully, you know, it'll kind of really lock in these concepts for you. Then set this game up, uh, then play it yourself. Mm. And that's actually what we did today. Um, And we'll, we'll kind of jump to that in a moment. Uh, Step three, uh, play a full game of Warhammer Underworlds yourself. So, you know, step one, just run through it again. Step two, uh, run through the setup, and then it's all you. It's all player agency from there. Step oh, so, three. So like
0: it has a set deployment, deploy here with the objectives in this location, that sort of thing, or? Yeah,
4: yep, okay. exactly. Okay, cool. And then, you know, step three, you know, now setup's on you as well. Mm-hmm. And step four, the adventure continues. And it kind of speaks to uh, deck building, organized play, warband expansions, uh, and even then gives you a primer in the last couple of pages on each of the warbands. So, you know, after you get to this page and you read what next, you might even, you know, immediately flip. Oh, you know, what's in these last couple of pages? Well, these are going to help you when you get to that player agency of game plan. Uh, They'll actually break down uh, what some of your key strengths are, and how to get at things like getting inspired with the far striders and then what your game plan is for each of these warbands cool and then step five win a grand clash yeah yep. <laughs> yeah We're coming I think this... draw the rest of the owl <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i think uh i think the rest of this box is uh actually still meant to kind of gen- be the general release uh go into all stores Walmarts Barnes and Noble and all that. Oh, I didn't so really think. Yeah, and cuz they will put some uh starter kits or uh the little intro just uh, a, a little board game that's not part of mm. any of the larger properties like Underworlds or uh, Dog's right. War Cry or anything. But they come up with all these little board games to just sprinkle into Barnes & Noble stuff just to get people introduced to the property. You know, it's almost like something like Chaos in the Old World uh, to an extent. Uh, but some of these games actually have miniatures that translate into Underworlds or Dog's War Warcry or War Cry or etc, uh, <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera. And uh, so that's where I think that playthrough book shines because somebody never hearing anything else about underworld sees a 1v1 maybe they want to step up from unmatched and they see a 1v1 dual game like uh uh unmatched that they want to take Mm -hmm. to another level of complexity and they have this book right there they don't need any
0: outside source telling them how to play the game it's mm. right there in the box. Yeah, it makes int- sense. The box is- itself
4: says uh, two-player starter set. You know, It kind of tells yeah. you what it is. What an interesting comparison, too. Those familiar with Unmatched, I actually really like that comparison because it is a, uh, you grab you know essentially your warband, usually like a fighter and their allies, and their pre-made deck, and you essentially play a Rivals game mm. when, you, when yeah. you play Unmatched. And that's what this game could be for you if you didn't want to do any deck building you just wanted to play rivals uh you could play underworlds unmatched essentially (laughs) uh all right well we've uh we talked
0: about it tell me a little bit about your game and i'll have some follow-up questions about uh that experience but uh, give us the broad strokes of uh how the game itself went
4: yeah i want to jump in here real quick and just kind of give a framework uh as to how we ran it and then I want to, you know, hand the mic over to Eric. Absolutely. I would much rather hear how he, you know, the mm. returning player experience was sure. uh, then uh, sitting here and yammering on uh, myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, again, set that framework. So initially we did the setup. So we placed out the boards, um, we actually made a modification. So the boards that come in the starter set, there are two facings from the last starter set and two facings, not from the last starter set. And mm-hmm. that got us excited. Uh, so we put out the ones that we hadn't seen and mm-hmm. used those. The ones actually in the rule book are the, are the ones that were in the previous starter set. Got it. Right. And that, so that's going to be your your walkthrough. Uh, but uh, we, we just modified the placements a little bit. Uh, essentially, we made sure that there were two Farstriders within shot of one already placed uh, Petitioner. Uh, actually, I think it was the Prince of Dust that was within. Uh, regardless, uh, that two Farstriders started within three of one Sepulchral Placement and that the warden was in the back. Because essentially, you know, that's kind of what you are uh, they're kind of getting at here, right? Is they don't want a f- first-time player to accidentally put the warden up front and have right. their game plan shattered, they also, right? <laughs> and they also want to make sure that, you know, the far striders have some options if they end up going first uh, right out of the gate. Or if they don't go first, you know, the Sepulchral Guard player could recognize, oh, I should back this unit out. So yeah. we... Went with their board setup just a little modified so that we could see those exciting new board facings. Uh, And then, what I did throughout the course of the game uh, was I gave them the starting hands that the guidebook recommended. And then, anytime a surge would score, I would find in the rulebook what surge or sorry, what objective card. Would be drawn next from that surge scoring according okay. to the script. Okay. So their card draw throughout the course of the game was indeed scripted, uh, start to finish. Like we'd, uh, you know, do end phase scoring, and I'd go fish out what their next hand was supposed to look like, mm. and and get that over to them. The rest was player agency. Okay. And I really liked. That experience, you know, because we ended up not going through the script beat by beat, I -hmm. wanted to see how that um, objective and power hand flow looked like uh, throughout the course of the game. That meant they were starting each with a surge and two end phase, each with three ploys and two upgrades. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, making sure they had interesting options, good goals, you know, right out of the gate and thoughtful goals and cards throughout the rest of the game to consider that makes sense that's cool eric uh
0: we heading into this uh you you have kind of a a scripted card draw um but then uh i i always feel like when i've got somebody and again you're already fairly familiar with the game from previous as we established uh in the in the before times um but uh does it uh, – how much information overload did you feel like you had right out of the gate or did it feel pretty manageable?
1: We did – you know, Skyler did a good job and we took the time to kind of just talk through what was old and what was new. Um, and I was happy to hear some of the new stuff, things like that a mulligan, uh, you know, if mm. you've, you got your first hand drawn that uh, if, it, if you're getting some, you know, third round uh, objectives – you're not just burning those out of your deck; that they yeah. can be shuffled back in. Like that's it's a very kind, um, gr- you know, gracious sort of way. And there's a few other things where it felt like uh, instead of like um, punishing dead ends. Another one was if if you've got a um, a ploy or a, a um, upgrade card that goes to a specific fighter, and that fighter's not has been taken out of action. There's a mechanic to be able to replace that uh, with yeah. a different power card, so yep. like it gives you outs if if your strategy went into hits a dead end, um, you know it it doesn't it means you can kind of try and and draw back into a different strategy or a different side of your uh, your objective. So that was really cool. So overall, you know, we took time to to look through or or talk through what was new, uh, what had changed, and I felt like maybe about. 70% of it was the same, um, you know, all the feel, but there was enough changes. And I think some for the better uh, or most of them, I don't, I don't think there's anything that I thought was like worse or I didn't like it as much. Um, so like going into it, we, we just took the time to explain it and level and, and level set and say, all right, here you go. What we didn't do and, and neither Brian or I like sat and looked through our deck ahead of time. So <laughs> neither of us knew what, the objective like the overall like objectives were what was the potential to draw and so that was also kind of nice to have uh Skylar sort of like prepping those for us because you know you knew that it was supposed to be sort of like not necessarily your best possible draws I'm sure there's other objectives or uh uh, power cards that could be even more powerful or tip the scales one way or the other
2: but they were really they were really good assortment and I've never played Striders. I don't usually touch Stormcast, uh, so <laughs> I have no idea what they All I knew was Invasion Aggro uh, was used to be their shtick, and uh, I had no idea how that had changed.
4: Yeah, you know, as an aside, we were talking about that afterwards. You know, uh, oh, they're ranged aggro uh, with an invasion focus, and it was kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, if they were ranged hold, well, then they would just be, you know, Sleeks Warband right? So yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Really sets them apart.
0: (laughs) Uh, Storm of Celestis for people who are not familiar with that uh, alternate naming convention of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I did make it clear at the outset that uh, Skylar, you were facilitating. Brian was playing far striders and,
4: and Eric was the sepulchral guard. So correct. Well, and uh, on the sidelines painting, was our uh, peanut gallery Josh and boy was he brutal <laughs> I was only cunningly
3: brutal in punishing myself with the paint job I was working on what what paint job were you working on oh god so this uh we we might need to move this to the uh what the heck are you up to but uh so you're familiar with Mike only plays orcs Mike Yep, yeah So, he handed me his crushes and a bottle of, hold on, let me get the name. Interesting. Zephyr Pink Metallic Paint. Oh, wow. So, handed me those two things and was like, make them look real dumb. (laughs) And for those of you listening at home that... Aren't familiar with some of my work? Uh, that's my brand. Okay. <laughs> taking taking weird paint jobs and just making it like thematic and fun is really just speaks to my heart. So this is probably the most effort I've put into the gaudiest color scheme I have ever seen.
2: Yeah, his uh, figurehead for his brand is a Lord of Change Big Bird meets Lovecraft.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And the story behind that one is back when Brian was trying to con me into this hobby, he kind of took me on a tour of the chaos gods and their, their greater demons. And he was showing me, you know, the, the bloodthirster, the keeper of secrets, the Lord of change. And we got to the Lord of change and I was like, you know, it'd be hilarious if somebody took the, all that plastic, all that effort, and painted it up like Big Bird. Tee-hee-ha-ha. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, fast forward a few years, and we're in the same Secret Santa with another friend who knows this story. Uh, it gets me a Lord of Change and a bottle of yellow primer.
2: Oh, man. And said, Beth.
3: and said, <laughs> nut up or shut up, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, that's why I'm... Definitely not in the background painting to scale soccer pitch markings on these bases because uh, Josh, I why too many pitch? details? Because Mike is a very big fan of the uh, Forward Madison soccer team, and that's part of why he gave me a pink metallic uh, uh, paint
2: instead For- of.
3: You know, for just reference, any other for color. listeners,
2: uh, Forward Madison's colors are blue and pink, so all of Mike's orcs
0: are blue and pink.
2: And uh, it, to, to even add more to the fluff,
3: God, we're going way yeah, off was, the deep I, end I, here. I,
0: I, mean, I thought it wasn't possible to get more off-topic, but here we no, go. No. Uh,
3: to, to further go into it, the uh, the the Forward Madison team's mascot is the Flamingo, right? Mm. Uh They refer to like certain uh, one of their catchphrases is the flamingo, which is (laughs) one of the orkiest phrases I've ever heard in relation to the flamingos. So it's just not know that perfect. Yeah, no, it's it's there. So very
0: well, the lore writes itself. All right. Well, we'll (laughs) bring this back around to uh, what was going on on the board here. Oh, Uh, right. That was the thing (laughs) that
3: was this episode. Okay.
0: Uh so Eric what the what general strategy did you take and uh tell tell me give me the broad arc of the game here Yeah so it, it was really
1: interesting I think turn you know it, there were some things that are very familiar uh to those who play who have played uh, sepulchral guard and that was, you know, keep the warden uh, alive because mm-hmm. he does a lot of the work um, moves, th- you know, has these abilities to, that both can give you extra movement, but also uh, revive um, models that have been taken out of action. And uh, so, you know, you know, that's a, a protection, you know, to hold on somebody to hold on to and not get too aggressive with. Um but I will say, I mean, I, f- I feel like um, a couple of things, the the deck um, feels very suited to these guys. And I think another benefit of uh, the Rivals format or having uh, faction decks is that it uh, it can feel, you can, you can get a sense of what the army is supposed to do. You can get a, a sense of what, uh, kind of the th- theme of it, um, mm. pretty quickly. And so I, th- I feel like that was, you know, there, you know, get on some objectives, um, you know, sc- uh, score by bringing some things back to life. Um, you know, they, uh, inspire by having things be revived. Um, what is the, sorry, I'm using the wrong term here. What's the term for them coming back, getting the token.
2: Uh, Uh, it is a rise token, but there's no keyword for
1: resurrecting a fighter. Sure. So you get inspired if they have rise tokens on them. So you want to, you know, bring these, these models back. So it's sort of like, it encourages you pretty quick to be like, okay, I know this the stuff I'm taking up all of the deployment, uh, hexes on my board. So some stuff's going to be up ready to get hit. Um, and it was trying to figure out, okay, how do I first, use i i think the first turn i used movement or the warden's movement three times maybe mm. i used it all four um but i just was trying to figure out how to um get positioned to um uh you know set up some maybe attacks in the future or uh get things on objectives when i needed them to or get some things on objectives early because i had a kind of a um Surge um, objective one. It was after my opponent's action. It could, if I had um, two objectives totaling more than six points. So I had the f- the four and the three for seven. Oh, right. uh, that that. So I needed to do that early in order to kind of be able to score it on my opponent's uh, after their uh, action yeah their action phase. Um, so like things like that. It kind of like led you towards it. And so some of it was pretty clear the first round. And I remember very distinctly the second round going, okay, now it felt like it got more complex. So, mm-hmm. the first round felt fairly easy to, to be like, okay, if I just move some things around, I know that I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to rush in and, like, charge something uh, or even barge something. I, I don't I don't know that I thought very much about barge and some of these other ones. Um, uh, I was, uh, you and us all. Yeah. So – uh, so I, to that point of being overwhelmed, I kind of narrowed my focus down to what are my objectives? What does my kind of best card do the most? And it's move things around and 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 uh, put rise tokens on things that have been taken out action and bring them back. And so how which or how much of that can I do in this round to make that work? And so I sort of followed my bliss in that um, hmm. uh, and and. Yeah. So the the first round was fairly easy to be like, let let me move some stuff around, get some things out of danger initially, move some stuff onto objectives, um, and see what he was going to do. So I kind of played the waiting game first turn. Um, Yeah,
2: From my perspective on uh, turn one, I was just trying to invade but not go full in. I was trying to uh, skirt the edges, skirmish, and uh, try and use the range three to shoot him off objectives, which I think led to him not making many or any attack actions because he was using those moves to get back onto objectives and just keep moving the, the
0: swarm forward. Now, Eric, that's a, that's a new thing since you've been gone is that, uh, once somebody has moved, they can still move, yeah. um, uh, it not, I mean, it's a universal, but it's also specific to that action that, that probably felt pretty good. Yeah, no, it was.
1: And especially with, I think with these guys being able to, um, you know, because movement is one of these guys the sepulchral guards, big, you know, draws, it was nice to not have things stuck. Um, uh. But yeah, it, it. And I didn't. I don't think I noticed it. But now that you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, I wasn't. Nothing felt stuck, especially because I wasn't charging anything. Yeah, uh, I, I kept my flexibility.
0: Yeah, I, I think that felt like a uh, a positive change that we we as as veteran players we not glossed over it, but we thought of it more in our terms, but less in the terms of new players and not having that negative player experience of like oh like i made this move early and you know it's still something you don't want to do at the wrong time and then lock yourself out of a charge or or whatever uh, or be less efficient but uh at least it gives you you still have options afterwards instead of being like well i guess i can't do anything for the rest of you right and season one was a different
2: age so like there was a different speed entirely um but it was definitely something where like sepulchral guard back then, if you make a move, they only move two. So if you got onto an objective, it might've been the only guy that could have reached that objective. So getting knocked off of it, you're like, well,
0: there that goes. But now that you can move, move, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so made those moves round two, round three, progress on. Yeah. Yeah. First turn. And at the end of first turn, I think I
1: was surrounded. I had uh, uh, one of the, um Stormcast and um Elias was in my backfield uh back of the board. I had, you know, one, uh, Stormcast to the right of me, Stormcast to the left of me. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Um and uh it was, I mean, but it was cool. It was thematic. They kind of lightning struck in and had me surrounded. And so I was um kind of trying to figure out, okay, so turn two, turn three, um was a little bit of am I is my warden going to get picked off? How do this, I, this was ahead. such
4: an excellent moment, uh, observing you returning to the game, you know, uh, filling this out, you know, uh, for, uh, when he's saying turn two, he's, he's referencing round two, round three. And at the start of round two, he wins the roll off. Cause again, we're doing player agency on all roles and, you know, all decisions outside of this, uh, guided, you know, card draw experience. And so he wins the roll off for round two and he's like, is it better to go first or second here? <laughs> and it was such a good question. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, there was no clear answer here uh, because he's playing this whole war band who might want final say, you know, mm-hmm. towards his objective hand. So that kind of skews you towards going, you know, second, but that also means that you're going to get, you know, some initial attacks out and his warden, is within um, you know attack range already uh, of a far strider present. So do you let the you know shots start coming in on the warding? Can anybody really go down? And we talked about how you know when you're playing Underworlds going into a round, if you if you go first or make another player go first, you're not able to buff uh, their turn with a power step preceding yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like so. Make your decision off of what Brian has at face value right now because he's not going to get a turn to buff it and he's not like that's going to knock him down to three turns with power steps instead of four.
1: Yep, and so okay. I think I did end up giving uh, you the turn, Brian, um, because partially because I didn't know what I was gonna do next, like I didn't know whether or not. <laughs> I needed to spend time saving somebody, uh, you know, getting my warden out of that position or, um, moving somebody like, so I sort of wanted to you to use up one of your actions to do something. So even if it was take swipes at the warden and not, and, and, you know, he'd probably still survive, I think, um, then I could decide, well, now he's definitely in trouble and I could <laughs> make a more <laughs>
0: decisive, uh, action. Uh, how did that round two go? Did the did the warden survive through round two? So, <sighs> uh, yes, the warden did. Um, I did get
2: uh, fully committed, and the far riders dove in. Uh, by this point, I was now finally uh, scoring some objective cards. It was pretty light scoring in the first round. Um, I think just a couple objectives or a couple glory here and there, but then round two got really active uh, with kills and respawns. Yeah, and.
1: I was able to in those couple rounds um or the second round i think put a lot more um i was able to score a few more things in reaction or as surges and then um i was able to to upgrade a, the warden a couple of times upgrade one of the um i was able to bring a couple of guys back to get them inspired and i needed a certain number of inspired uh fighters in order to meet some other objectives and so I ended up with a couple of more threatening pieces. Um, uh, the champion was up to damage three, uh, with an, with an ability. Yeah. Um, and so it gave him, made, made him a little bit of a threat piece. Um, you know, was able to, um, win back some objectives that, um, had gotten taken off of or, or something to that effect. Um, And so we kind of, we fought over a couple of things there. He was trying to keep me off stuff and I was trying to get back on stuff. And I had, he was coming way over into my space and I had one guy, I was trying to sneak over into his space without him, you know, raising, raising alarms, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, So it was a little bit of, and yeah, it's at some point realized, and this was a key point. um, One of those things of, one of the things I admire, but is also kind of intimidating uh, uh, about um, underworlds is knowing what all the cards do that there are so many different abilities and cards and things to, to think about because uh, I had got a little bit coached here that he had, uh, dis- Brian had discarded um, a, 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 um, an objective that had to do with killing my leader mm. um, and which was a signal that maybe he wasn't going to try and kill my leader. That was not something he was going to spend time on so I was able to kind of because that was pointed out to me, and I, we could talk through it. I was like, okay, I don't have to worry about the warden. I don't right. have to spend energy moving the warden or getting him out of harm's way, or even worrying about the warden striking back. You know, I could focus on movement. I could focus on the objectives. I could focus on a few other things um, to 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 get where I needed to go. Um, and so those were those are clever things. It's it's kind of this one of those cool things about Shades Bar, but also a little intimidating to or pressure to feel like you need to know and be aware of all the things that are right.
2: Yeah. I had that objective round one and he was in the backfield. And when I, I scored one of the other two and, or, and ditched, I ended up ditching that one because the other objectives weren't uh, pushing me in that same direction. They wanted me to do other things. So I would have been trying to do three different things. Right. So I tried to be more efficient with scoring.
0: I mean, I'll still do that. I'll play, you know, round two and round three in fear of a particular objective or gambit only to realize that my opponent has discarded it sometime in the, you know, first round or something like that. Usually that's like late, late in a, in a tournament or something like that. But like, oh man, it's just, it is, it is a lot to keep track of. So were you guys pretty close after two rounds? Oh, we were,
1: yeah, we were at nines, uh, at so first round, I think we were three and two or three, you know, each. Um, after round two, I think we were somehow we were both up to yeah we were up to nine, right? Or somewhere amidst
2: three, we had both gotten into the nine range. Yeah, uh, round two was high scoring, and then we both got up to nine. Here's uh,
0: here's how I know that uh, these war bands have been revamped because uh, back in back in Shadespire days, uh, like there there was there was a time where if you got into double digits on on uh scoring it was pretty impressive <laughs> in those uh in those yeah. early times when there were just four war bands out yeah uh, uh all right so round three uh still that sounds like everything's in the in the balance yeah i
1: so from my perspective i had i'd had very just a couple of things i Actually only one objective that I thought was gonna be viable. And we were both at nine. Um
2: and he I was like killed one forest rider. I had and killed one. I think there was one petitioner dead because he had respawned everybody else. Hmm. Yeah. Um and
1: uh I had one objective and that was to be on three objectives, one in his uh territory. And I managed I I made it. I don't know an error. We were, it was one of those talking points of should I done that or could I have done this, and I had a petitioner that had um, upgrades to make it. You know, not be you couldn't. Um, uh, what is the setback or drive back? Drive back. So you couldn't drive it back. And I put him on an objective in my territory near uh, his my you know his his stuff, um, and I wasn't really. I, I could have moved him into the the other territory and done that, uh, but I think because he was in my territory, he went after him, but he wasn't able to knock him off the objective. Had I moved him somewhere else,
4: exactly. Maybe- so I actually don't think this part was particularly a play mistake. It was an interesting, you know, thing to point out. You know, after the fact, this is actually some of the final activations around three. Um, you know, Eric has the choice between two objectives where he's going to position this fighter and uh, like he said this fighter's got an upgrade on him that says you know i can't be driven back and he's got two cards in his scoring hand one that says hold three and one that says uh all your fighters with a minimum of of two i think um are in enemy territory or no one's territory but uh but the all of your surviving so, fighters meet so I, that I criteria. Had infiltrating skeletons. Yeah. Uh, for one yeah. objective. And so, you know, had he picked the objective in enemy territory, now he's got a shot at both cards in his hand. Right. However Well he's and, and I'll say the mistake is I didn't realize
1: that I could have like I had the opportunity to score both. So I was <laughs> I was blinded to the I know I can do this one. I wasn't sure.
4: Yep. sure sure um but to your credit um you know had you taken the move into enemy territory then that particular fighter might not end up being Brian's target in a moment here yep. and if that fighter isn't Brian's target then um the you know the target of choice could be driven off the objective and then you know you're not scoring that hold 3 card and that hold 3 card was worth 3 points yep mm. So I definitely was –
1: what was nice, and I, f- I feel like I've had a couple of rounds with, again, KO, like in that, that space where I was working with the Thundrix proveteers where I'm building – I'm responsible for building the deck with the tools that I have or the certain ones that I have purchased and, and building a deck to the best of my ability and sometimes getting stuck with things that didn't fit um, or the deck having uh, – Uh, incentives that are competing with each other on accident. Mm. And this very much felt like objectives were working with me. Uh, Everything that I was doing seemed like there was some chance I could have gotten it or viability to it. It didn't feel like something was like way out there, like annihilation or um, something like that. right? So that felt good. It felt good that things were choices and that you know, maybe something had passed. Like, oh, I'm not in position to do that. I could have been in position had I something gone different. But mm. it never felt like any of the cards I was getting were impossible or unrelated to the game we I was playing.
0: That's cool. That's a that's a tip of the hat to the well, uh, to the to the deck in general. But also, I don't know, Scott, how much you think uh, is from that
4: uh, sort of curated card draw. I think the curated card draw was is. My favorite part of this Hmm. rulebook, but I do think that the matchup here is really balanced, really interesting. I think that, you know, we gave them player agency, right? And um, you're going to find out here in a moment uh, that it comes down to tiebreakers. Oh well, nope, all right. We found
1: out right now. We just you just found it out. <laughs> Perfect. You don't even
3: have,
2: you don't have to wait, listeners. We <laughs>
3: talked about spoiler
2: warnings. Taylor. Come on. I would, I would also like to point out that um, the design philosophy behind the decks I think has changed since uh, you played Last End uh as they've developed and i want to talk a lot more about kind of like how the game has changed and we were talking about the collector thing and yeah uh, i want to circle back on the collector thing real bad too all of that but yeah the the objective deck felt it used to feel like kind of a toolkit of where do you want to go with this deck into championship you want to go into hold? Do you want to go into aggro? Do you want to go into something else? And so as, when as in playing, it was not
0: designed to work with itself internally.
2: Right. So it was yeah. kind of like you had uh, the deck in three parts and you could kind of do different things. It was a starter set that you built off into champions. Absolutely. Now with, when rivals, I use... now with rivals, they have a more cohesive idea for uh, this warband wants to do this. And you can take it further, you can pivot it, you can do a little bit of changes. Um, But it's much more like this Warband has a thing that they like to do. You can double down on that or you can go your own way. um, But it's much more cohesive and um, doesn't feel disjointed or confusing.
4: Absolutely. When I used to teach this game, I used to, uh, well, teach or pitch this game. I used to talk about your Warband's specific deck as exactly what you stated, their toolkit. Uh, and the different avenues that you could explore with them. I didn't talk about how it was this cohesive rivals deck experience, which is where they've really pushed these decks. And I, I think it's great. So so what end state did these decks get us to here?
1: Um, so, well, I'll just say, again, from a kind of a deck perspective or what was in my hand, mm-hmm. I used every single one of my power cards. So I was out of power cards, right? like. Yeah. Maybe end us, maybe it, one of the first, um, activations of the third round I was out. Um, so used them and they were helpful and they all, you know, worked great. And I w- of the three, um, objectives, there was two that I guess in hindsight I could have scored, uh, but one of them I was focused on. Um, and so in that, in that regard, again, I felt like, again, I was using the tools, nothing felt wasted. I wasn't unable to do anything, and then uh, we ended, uh, took went to the last uh, scoring. Um, Brian uh, tried to pull one over on me and score <laughs> a particular yeah. objective, and I was. He, <laughs> it was uh, the if I had uh, more models out than the round, then the
2: the number of models was higher than the round number. Uh, yeah, so uh, if the total number of enemy models out of action is greater than, and I thought it was just greater than or equal to oh yeah that's Um, a tough one (laughs) and since they're respawning that's a really hard uh challenge to do but i thought i had met it with three um so i had i had to correct him and say hey do you know how to read um
1: right
4: and for the (laughs) listeners out there uh keeping stat sheets for each of us i want brian's catchphrase column to include read the cart (laughs) <laughs> or TFC. no
3: rt um, was
2: indeed i was I scoring it. well throughout the round i was uh i didn't end up killing the warden which in hindsight is just always the go-to uh thing you should do against sepulchral guard yeah um but it is i was scoring my hands really well like uh some of it was that i just had to make successful attacks i did You know, make some of those attacks towards the warden, uh, some of which he whiffed, some of which he defended. Um, But I was scoring my cards well, um, still doing things. We actually talked
4: about that after you um, headed out, Eric. We talked about how Brian was playing towards his game plan here instead of playing denial of your game plan. Mm -hmm. And for those listening, that is the way to teach a game. Do not punish right. your opponent oh, yeah. by already, you know, going one layer deeper and punishing their game plan. Just play yours. Yeah. We
1: ended, um, uh, <laughs> with those last ones scored even. So after, um, uh, denying him that, uh, false, uh, uh, objective that he tried to play, we both ended up at 11 glory. Exact. Okay. Um, 12, 12 and 12, oh, 12, sorry. 12 and 12. Um, Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we had to come down to tiebreakers and because I'm an objective deck, I had, uh, three objectives or it wasn't the number of objectives, but the total number on my objectives, you know, number four, number two, number one, or whatever it was.
4: I believe that was it. I think, yeah, you ended up with seven over his five.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he had one objective, number five, and I had three objectives totaling seven. So, um, just on that, I... I took the minor victory, I guess would be in some, some States, but, <laughs> um, but it was, a, it was a lot of fun and it was, it was a head scratch all the way through and, uh, nothing was an obvious, no, I don't you know. Nothing was obvious. Um, but you know, some things were, I, yeah, like you said, I think I just played my objectives the best I could without having to worry as much about, I wonder what he's doing. Um, uh, and it, and it worked out.
4: It worked out. And for awesome. those wondering where the script lands, you, uh, it asks uh, who won, you know, question mark, big old uh, column header there. And we have 17 glory points uh, for Far Striders, 16 glory points for Sepulchral Guard, mm. uh, is how the script plays out. But they followed up immediately with a what if question mark header. And they ask you, they let you know that. You know the far striders were able to get a glory off of the kill so a bounty in the last activation you know imagine if that attack had missed and given the tiebreakers then exactly what happened with eric and brian would have played out and the sepulchral guard would have taken you know the scripted game here Ah. uh which was uh, interesting. It was something we talked about right afterwards. It's like, Hey, actually you guys stepped, uh you know, skip straight ahead to the, what if <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm that's your
0: guide to these vast new realities. I was okay. going to say, I think that's
1: the, that is a sign of a good close game. Uh, and it happens in war cry two where you're sitting back and going, okay, what if something had gone a little bit different or what if I, you know, and sometimes it's dice. Sometimes mm. it's just a choice to go left versus right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, when you can point back to kind of multiple places where things could have changed, that's pretty satisfying to know that, you know, like, uh, uh, and it's it's nice to know that you can make some mistakes and still come out, you know, in a positive uh,
4: space. Eric, I'm elated to hearing you say words like fun, satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean – uh, I'll say
1: uh, um, we're doing – our next episode is going to be a building a league or building community episode. And number one on my list is invite people to your house, have cappuccino ready uh, and donuts. Uh, so I don't know how I could have not had fun with the hospitality you showed me.
3: So Step number two, drugs said cap- <laughs> cappuccinos and donuts. <laughs> wait a minute that's- step three profit <laughs> when
1: i when i showed up and there was three members of what the heck's uh waiting for me i wasn't sure if i was uh getting hard recruited or not
0: anything's possible uh so you you make your way through sort of we'll call it a, a training or a retraining game yeah uh at, at the back end of it was there were there any game concepts for underworlds where you're like i still maybe that feels kind of hazy to me um or um <sighs> th- what what stood out to you and then i'll, I'll follow that up with some uh, with uh Skylar. was there some concept you thought uh it'd be good to be able to teach this the next time through or something
1: so, um i would say the things that are probably hazy to me are the ones that my warband didn't do as much so i didn't charge uh as much so i'm trying to remember you know uh, I know that – but I saw that the Far Striders charged and all three of them would charge and then uh, that didn't – they could make another action even though they had charged because everybody had charged. So there were some things like that. I guess I'm not so hazy on that one as I thought I was. Um, I think that there's w- – what I'm probably hazy on or what I, I didn't get from this particular thing is I don't know the full deck or what the other options are in it by going through the, um, mm. kind of pre-planning card draw. So I don't know what that full deck is, but I will say, um, I nearly just, uh, pocketed the deck, uh, so that I could, <laughs> uh, read through it and find out more of what it does and that sort of stuff. So I'm, it, it made me interested in playing it some more for sure. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything that that feels unknown. I guess I think uh, some of those worries of like I not knowing what my opponent's deck is, or feeling totally caught off guard by mm-hmm. my own mistakes, or not having the right cards in my deck—like sure. those just weren't there this game. And mm-hmm. I, I remember those being kind of—I wouldn't say anxiety drivers or anything like that, but
2: but you know, like kind of bitter um, moments yeah. in previous games. In ages past, you'd get a card where you're like, you know, every time you go to draw a card, you're like, come on, help me. And when you <laughs> flip it over and it says in the third end phase, you score two glory. It's like, that's not going to help. <laughs> and it's like, they have a lot of those cards that had some dead ends or like, uh, like I said, those different builds for championship that felt disjointed. Um, in an intro game, those could feel really punitive or just like really take wind out of your sails when you need something to really help curveball uh, your opponent. And yeah, I thought the decks flowed a lot better.
0: Yeah. Uh, Skylar, from from the outside perspective, what, what concept would you say, like after having done this, what, what concept would you say, like, hey, I think the next time through I would try to reinforce X or Y?
4: Well, I think there are two rules that are enjoyable uh, and encouraging for those who find uh, the game intimidating from a card play standpoint. And that would be the new mulligan rule that we've all grown accustomed to since the release of Harrowdeep and the new salvage rule uh, as of uh, Weird Hollow here. Those don't come up, right, in Mm -hmm. the script. Uh, The script doesn't have you mulligan. Uh, Of course it doesn't. Uh, And the salvage rule, as far as I remember, uh, does not come up in here. And those are, you know, for a returning player, those were beats I really wanted to hit with Eric. And he was enthusiastic Mm -hmm. to hear them. Yeah. 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 Uh, But as far as notes that I felt needed to be reinforced, I didn't see them. I thought the matchup Mm -hmm. just lended themselves naturally because again player agency um, I'm kind of stepping through the walkthrough as they're playing looking at what the game would have looked like if we sat here and did the scripted playthrough mm-hmm. and paying attention to actually what is occurring and then feeding feeding that card draw and I, I thought it just um, conducted itself well and represented itself well to what a game of Warhammer Underworlds can be, should be You know, and gives you a good view of it um, from uh, mechanics to like exciting moments. Sure.
0: Uh, Did you have a most exciting moment by the players in there? Was it when I
1: thought that I could attack everybody with scythe? When I thought my, uh, my harvester had two inch reach and I was going to get everybody.
0: Oh, whoa. But we've then, st- we've never but
1: then seen I was that like, yet. oh wait, no, that's his movement, not his range.
4: Uh, uh, <laughs> to, to your credit. I was excited. I was really excited. <laughs> and we talked about this in the moment. Some like models, uh, when displaying their weapons, you know, in you know, that lovely miniature, uh, give you the impression that that they've got a little more reach than yeah. they really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a reasonable
0: uh, guess to make. I range two scything attack when, gentlemen. When, <laughs> please,
4: please no. <laughs> why, Not am I, on Molog. <laughs> why am I log.
0: Why am I pre nerfed?
4: Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine the penalty. You know <laughs> to, yeah, to yeah. bring that in. Like, so hot take, I.
3: If it were on any other warband, I think it would be really cool if Spite Shroom's <laughs> Scything was range uh, two, just because it's a Spore Cloud and it mm. only does one damage.
0: Yeah. yeah. Two Fury, one damage, range two. Yeah. Maybe maybe make it so it can't be modified. Anyway, like where, I said, a, on
3: point? literally yeah. any other warband, Molog needs no help.
0: <laughs>
4: Something I, mean. I will say uh, that I think is spicy, both in this matchup and in this script. Is that round one awards the Strider player? Hold on, let me make sure I get this card name correct. Uh, the Etheric Paths.
0: <laughs> so, oh, this is the yeah. uh, the one that's like the uh, hidden paths, the mm-hmm. teleport card. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they give that
4: to the players round one, and then you know encourage you to set this game back up with that hand and try again. And it's like. Oh wait! I've got this tool to really get at the wardener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's spicy just being in the matchup. It's spicy that they gave it to you, <laughs> you know, in hand one. If you follow yeah. this setup, um, yeah. and for for those um, listening that are like, well, you know, I kind of like to, you know, go through a round, you know, with a new player that's scripted, really get that guided teach just out of a round. And then kind of do the remaining rounds, um, you know, with player agency to really, you know, add a little more to that learning experience, not have that whole time be scripted. Uh, it's going to cover most of the basics during your round one. And actually straight in the rule book, it asks you, are you ready? Uh, you know, in round two, would you like to take the reins and go from here? Oh. here here's your yeah, hands, cool. you know and uh, player agency from here on out. If you have any questions, consult the actual rule book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that. Uh, as far as like next steps, uh, one thing I thought you guys made a good point about was uh, not playing to deny the beginner's game plan. Mm. Um, uh, but when you're ready to do that or when you think you have a player to do that, what, what I often do when I've got somebody new and i think they're ready for that is i'll i'll talk it out like hey i'm moving into your territory not because it's something that i need to do but i'm pretty sure there's a chance that you have you know whatever siege breakers or something in in your hand uh that is wanting me to you know stay in my territory so that's this is why i'm making that play so that communicates like hey you can play this you know thinking about what's in the other person's hand um and, you know, I don't know for a fact whether they've got it or not, but just kind of introduces that that's set of thinking when they're when
4: folks are ready for it. Yeah. I like that. Another option is to play with open hands mm. uh, or to do both. Uh, yeah. And I never would dissuade open hands uh, in a teaching game, uh, especially like even if the new players like, no, I kind of want to guard my hand. You know, personally, I, I just want to focus on my hand myself uh, offer the ability to reveal your own hand and just have that be public knowledge. Um, uh, feel out your audience, you know, that could be an overload of information. If you're then kind of, um, you know, as Eric stated, you know, I don't know, I didn't know what his game plan was. So I just focused on mine. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a healthy learning experience. And I think one they kind of opted into with this book is Eric focused on just his learning, uh, and just his game plan. Whereas if you open face your own hand, then that could overload uh, the player you're playing with. So know your audience.
1: Well, uh, here, here's what I advice. might say too. If yeah, you're might... running a demo game and you're worried about winning, then you're building community wrong.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, kidding. Kidding.
1: So, you know, give all the, get, give as many advantages as your, the new player is interested in doing to explore it. Because at the end of the day, if they win uh, because they saw your hand, like, Nobody's counting it. No one's keeping track. Um, right. And at the end of the day, if they've got a handle of it, they felt like they, um, it's less intimidating, or that again, or even just the environment with with you is safe, and and you know, uh, playing games win or lose is going to be a good experience. Then you know, there's there's no need to to get on the, be competitive in this, this demo game.
4: Right. Absolutely. And to, to that point, if you want to head off the crits that you will inevitably roll in abundance
1: as the, the, against the new
4: player. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Against the new player. um, Just count them as basic successes. That's a trick that we use. Uh, We kind of, you know, set the stage originally and we'll say, Hey, you're learning. I can't roll crits. You can, I can't. Um, so anytime we see a crit from me, it'll be a basic success. Mm, interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, gauging gauging for you know who you're playing against. I Bobby Bobby would say, you know, don't take any of your crits away. I want the full right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't don't pull any punches. You know. Yeah.
4: Shout me. out um, Bobby.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, all right. I think that's a fairly good coverage what i'd like to do is kind of round table it uh have the uh have the floor open um we're gonna we're gonna start with uh josh here do you have any thoughts you want to uh share on this sort of uh reintroduction experience in the starter set in general
3: yeah on the starter set in general i the biggest compliment that i can give this box is it seems like a fantastic matchup and has gone to great lengths to make sure that it is a positive new player experience. There have been so many core boxes where the new player experience out of the box would be so lopsided, uh, especially in recent history. Gnarl Spirit Pack, looking at you. And this just flies in the face of that. This is such a great new player experience that... I, I would feel really comfortable telling any new player if I didn't have the capacity to teach them myself, go get this box. This box yeah. will 100% get you up to speed on how to get started with Warhammer Underworlds.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. here, here. Yeah. You know, a lot, I would be in the same boat if I was starting out where I'd be worried about like how balanced are these warbands? Uh, as an experienced player, I, I tend to say like it matters less how balanced they are and more how much, you know, about the game. Like you, you um, if, if you're having out of balance, you know, matchup, uh, the player with more experience is still got a good chance to kind of push forward and win. Uh, but if, both players are starting at the same level you don't want one to just be blowing the other out of the water or something like that so yeah that's, that's a good call uh brian you got anything that you want to share about the uh starter set or, or introdu- reintroduction experience i would like to go last because i want to talk about how the seasons
2: have changed and how the game looks if you get into underworlds how the how the seasons sure. will develop how the
4: releases go yep we'll come back around to you then uh skyler all right and to uh jump off of what brian just said i'd love to take a beat uh at that time to talk about the collection um of underworld something that eric's alluded to that was a turnoff for him something that we've kind of alluded through during the episode that we're excited to talk about Um, so tabling that for now um i'm going to introduce something called the correction step (laughs) and uh (laughs) there was a Uh, We were talking about a moment where Eric had a chance to go for an objective in his territory or enemy territory, and I was trying to piece out what that card was from memory. I've since looked it up. Um, So, for those listening, it was the Eternal Legions. Score this in an end phase if three or more friendly fighters are each in no one's and or enemy territory. Uh, So, that Mm. was the card that, you know, potentially could have come into play here at the end. Um, But wasn't necessarily a play mistake like um Mm -hmm. we we talked about you know kind of our own what ifs right the rule book gives you its own uh if you or the the script gives you its own what if and that was kind of ours uh is you know ooh, interesting you know had you chosen the objective in their territory versus this one Mm -hmm. here's how the game could have finished because far striders had the final stay final say in this activation um The other thing, if you're listening, uh, sometimes we run off on um, topics with threads unchecked. And early on, so this is, again, part of the correction step here. (laughs) Uh, Brian, um, would you uh, tell us real quick about the Prince of Dust? It was something we alluded to as worth talking about, specifically Eric's uh, alteration. Oh,
2: I was just loving he had replaced the mace with a uh, scimitar, a uh, big curved blade, and a head change that head, like, where did you get that bit where it's got a spiky helm and a beard almost? I believe and it's it, just the classic skeleton
1: uh, kit, uh, the, the, the previous one, so prior to the new uh, undead skeleton uh, release, so
2: uh, OG... It, it, it it just put the whole war band into more of a like Turkish feel almost. Actually, uh, no. Also, the no. Hex Wraith kit,
1: um, it, uh, with the Black Knights. Is that Black Knights? Mm, uh, yeah. Which is still to the same kit. The so, Horsemen. The Horsemen. Yep. Ah.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. No. It was just a great small little conversions, yeah, and that's cool. another one of the things I love about Underworlds is, uh, you may not. Uh, love or play each warband that they release, but being able to convert and modify them or paint and test things on different warbands is like I that's what I use all the other warbands that I don't get around <laughs> to playing with. And it's a lot of fun to see what people do with them.
4: Well, thanks, Excellent. guys. I'm glad you we enjoyed will, them. Definitely super enjoyed them. And we'll definitely post pics of that uh, here with the episode. So that is uh, my correction step. If anybody else has one, <laughs> feel free to jump in. Um, but uh, before I pass on the correction step, I'll address the question Davey passed over to me. And he you know, was asking about uh, any final thoughts on the starter set. First off, I can't echo what Josh stated enough uh, that this is such a balanced and interesting matchup to represent the game with. Uh, I'm really excited to say that I definitely, you know, it flies in the face of the Gnarl Spirit versus and, uh matchup that the Gnarl Wood corset presented with us, for sure. Uh, so for my Battlestar Galactica fans out there, so say we all. Uh, so um, <laughs> um, but uh, as far as additions, um, additional thoughts to the starter set, one thing I will say that we haven't touched on um, is just a light touch on the rulebook real quick here. Uh, not the read this first walkthrough, but the rulebook itself, uh, it kind of leaves some of the seasonal baggage behind. And that's kind of about all it does if you're comparing it to the weird hollow rulebook. I haven't had a full run through uh, through the rulebook. I kind of so, <laughs> um, you know, I developed a strategy, if you will, where I'm going to run through a rulebook with a highlighter and really try to pick out uh, the changes Uh, Here, I didn't get the chance to quite do that, and it wouldn't have worked as well here because they focus on what's in the box and just what's in the box. And so what I mean by that is, you know, when they're talking about inspiring, they don't talk about the start or end of round inspire conditions in the advanced inspiration rules. They don't have to, you know, they don't have any rule book or they don't have any war bands in this set. That are going to have those inspire conditions, uh, so they just leave that out, and I think that's fine. I think that's great, actually, um, because it focuses on what this box has, and the current rulebook, like the Weird Hollow rulebook. You know, if you're compelled to play more and play, you know, in the current season, that's free online. You can go get that. Um, so it doesn't talk about beasts or wizards because there aren't any. It doesn't talk about hazard hexes because there aren't any. And, you know, not including hazard hexes, I think is a great call because that's another thing that you'd have to teach that adds to the mental load of getting into the underworlds. And the lower that barrier to entry can be, the more people we can show, you know, this great game that we love. Um, Additionally, I saw, you know, on my first pass through that there are a couple of FAQs that kind of get rolled in here. So we'll probably see those in future rule books. For example, uh, I'll just call it one real quick. Uh, Rerolled. So if you, sorry, let me back that up a little bit. Uh, If you're throwing your first roll off into round one, you know, there's always been that question of. If we end up matching results, does that first person to exal, uh, like get their models on the board, do they get the crit in the roll-off? And the answer is yes, they get the crit in the roll-off. But that's been an FAQ before. Um, that's rolled into the rules now. Um, so in the advanced ro- uh, re-roll section. Uh, so that's cool. That's great to see. You know, I anytime they come up with an FAQ, it's better for the game that it ends up rolling into a rulebook later. Uh, And so that wasn't in the Weird Hollow rulebook, but it is here, and I'm sure will be in like the next season one. Mm -hmm. Um, The last thing to call out uh, on the rulebook is one change I located. It's not a change to the way we play the game. That would be a little weird, right, Uh, to have Weird Hollow come out, set the stage. And then a starter set come out and change the stage, right? N- none of us want that. That would right. <laughs> be a horrible way to introduce somebody to the game. Um, but uh, the last starter set introduced the new card backs. And they moved mm-hmm. like the move uh, or like the general characteristics, uh, general stats of that character, you know, up uh, to a different position on the card, give it a little different uh, vibe to the way it was formatted on the card. Um Along those lines, they've decided to make a change where keywords such as like Hunter, Brawler, Zinch, Petitioner, the rules or the keywords that don't mean anything unless referenced and interacted with, those keywords will now appear in bold italics instead of interesting. Yeah, instead of just straight bold. And I, I quickly was like, oh wait. You know, does that mean that the weird hollow core box did that and I didn't notice? Um, No, no, that's not the case. Uh, Like the Zinch keyword on Ephelim is currently still, you know, in that upright bold position instead of that italics bold Mm. position. But it does state, um, you know, kind of that that's a retroactive thing and it calls it out. It says, hey, you know, you might not see the italics in all cases uh, across our Underworld's products. But going forward, you will.
0: Well, good catch. Brian, I think you mentioned earlier in the episode you had something you want to circle back to. Do you want to take care of that now?
4: Yeah, and
2: everyone else can certainly jump in on. But uh, Eric had mentioned that in the past, the collection aspect. uh, Previously, warbands were packaged with the warband models itself, the faction deck itself. Uh, obviously, need those to play each warband, and then it also included universal cards. And what this meant was that whether I like if I whether I like ogres or not, I wanted and had to buy that ogre warband in order to get the universal cards, so that I could have all the universal cards available for championship in order to play and to the best of my abilities and have all the options for deck building. Uh, they have since changed that. Uh, now individual warbands are sold without universal cards. So uh, most recently, the Grisales Arenae, which is a Daughters of Cain warband, was sold without any universals, as well as the Grincracks Loon Court, which is a Gloomspite Gets warband. Neither of those have universal cards. So you don't have to purchase those if you don't want to play with those warbands. Uh, there's nothing universal about them uh, that would require somebody who's not interested in them to purchase them to stay competitive. Yeah. Um, and in the grand scope of each season, uh, we have six month seasons. So, and that might sound intimidating in uh, the sense of like really fast paced. Uh, 40K does this, Age of Sigmar does this with the General's Handbooks, and 40K with the Chapter Approved Books. Uh, basically what it means for Underworlds is that every six months you'll get a new rulebook that has all the updates, all the FAQs, so that it keeps it current, keeps it fresh, and they stay on top of questions and rules. Uh, You also get FAQs periodically uh, to supplement with that. And in the course of a six-month season, you get a starter box, two uh, warbands in that with their faction decks, of course and two universal decks. Uh, So you can just buy a core box. You have, if it's a faction that you want, uh, play with one of those two, and then you also have two universal decks out of that. Over the course of the season, there will be separate releases. Uh, Two separate warbands, once again, don't have to purchase those if you don't want to. And last season we had two universal decks. So if you did want to stay competitive, uh, in the meta of championship, you would probably want to purchase both of those just so you had all the options out. But that's just two decks, not two decks plus two warbands, plus the universe, uh, the core set. Yeah. Uh, and that, that helps cut down the financial cost of the collection. Um, and as we were talking earlier, um, I previously had a friend who said, like, why can't I buy... The core box for a game and be competitive with it and win a tournament initially i thought that's ridiculous every game wants you to buy in harder than that to stay competitive to win a tournament it's kind of ridiculous to expect a game to have the wide breadth of releases and still have the core box be competitive at the high levels um and then i went to adapticon and i got third place with no spirit Uh, Spirit are an exception, but I did exactly what my, uh, our friends had propositioned, which was, uh, using just the core set to place in an event. Uh, so Underworlds is at that place. Um, and I think that's really interesting and the seasons have become a lot more affordable. I thought in previous years, it was already one of the most affordable competitive games and it's only gotten more so.
0: Yeah, I think with the highlight on Nemesis, uh, but just having those different formats to give people an entryway. Uh, I uh, I'm gonna close it out with Eric. If you have any thoughts you want to share as the as the guest of honor here, yeah, uh, no, go I, for it. I first of all just thank you guys for
1: extending the invitation to come and join you to kind of play through this starter box to experience it as a um, you know as a a league runner. Uh, someone who loves bringing new people into community. Um, it was very welcoming and 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 I did enjoy this box. And I think, you know, if, if you don't already have these, like it can be, it's not only great for two people who are interested in getting in it and they buy it as a, as friends and they play it together and they experience it. That's cool. But it's also cool if you like to give demos and you want to have two war bands and two decks ready to go and not have to think too much about it. I think that can be a really good um, place to start, or have this in your back pocket. Um, yes, because I think yeah. you know you have to you have to go through the process of building your own deck for your own, and then no, building one for somebody else, and then feeling like you have to balance it. That's a lot of work to put on an organizer to to have those things ready. In I'll say, from my experience in Warcry, like when I play a war brand, I know how to clip its wings a little bit to play against somebody else. And that takes time. It takes time playing something to know how to like pull back or, or throttle, you know uh, for other players. Sometimes when you're new at doing demos or you're just starting out to dry, um grow community, it can be uh, an accidental, you know, crushing that you give somebody and it's a feel bad. Right. So having maybe like a safe, couple of decks to to kind of introduce somebody in. that's a really great thing for gw to create for the community um Hmm. i i did mention like the the fomo the buy kind of feeling like you needed to pick up every box was a bit of a turnoff for me uh in early days and in mid days because i'm not that kind of collector um you know uh I want to buy what I'm interested in. I want to I want to feel like I have a choice in what I pick up. But everything's sort of um, buried in these different purchases paired with that idea of feeling like I had to know what all the cards are and every possible combination or what everybody else was doing in order to not feel caught off guard. I will say on that second point, having played more games of you know, Warcry in my meta, you know, if I run up against somebody's really big killy thing and I'm caught off guard, I kind of can shrug it off and I know I'm going to get more games with them and I'm going to figure out ways to deal with them or not, you know, but no, it's a known entity. I'm not the surprise or being caught off guard is sort of like the bad feeling and all of that. Um, And I think that if you're playing with, you know, within a group and in a meta where you have kind of you can get to know, Hey, Davey's got this war band and he's playing aggro and I ran up against it. And now I know some of the things that really stuck out to me. I can plan for that next time. I'm going to go at it again. I can take another run at it. And that's a better feeling. And, and I think that gets better when you can play more games. If it's, you know, if you're playing once a month or once every six months, maybe that's harder to get at. But I think that similar to playing my, in my meta with, with, with Warcry, you run up against unknowns. You let it, you know, run off your back uh, and, and play again, go at it again. And I think, I think um, you can do that with the champion uh, meta and all of the cards. But I think as someone who's maybe not decided to be that into the game yet, um, or anybody who's getting in the game and doesn't catch the bug yet, you know, having these be more, ca- the the um, Rivals deck be more casual play or more uh, competitive light play, I think is really good. And I, I've, I'm very encouraged by, I've heard you guys talking about it for, you know, some episodes. Um, and so to be able to experience that was really good. And I feel like I'm, I have a box of all the cards that I've ever bought with all, you know, sitting in a box buried mm-hmm. somewhere and it's, it's always been like a little bit of a hobby weight, right? Like a little bit of like guilt of I have all this and I don't have to do with it. I would say I've, that's shed for me. And the idea of coming back and, you know, showing up on a Thursday night for league night to play a deck, you know, a rivals deck with my war band feels like, um, feels more approachable feels more, um, like I can be in the group without, because and that just came to me like being the person who doesn't buy everything feeling like you're in a different class not not from like a s- social class but like you're you're how deep you're in like i feel i can show up with a rival's deck and be just as like in the game as somebody else is and i think that's mm. important um, i
4: agree and so. i would love to see you out on Thursday nights. I was about to say, we'll see you this Thursday. Right. Um,
1: I'll be expecting cappuccinos.
3: So- <laughs> <laughs> oh, we set a high bar.
4: <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Brian, kid, uh, is that a mobile operation? The the cappuccinos? <laughs> no, no, no. I'll have to talk to Noble Knight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With the format focus ramp uh, of how much you want to interact with this game, you know, looking like rivals to Nemesis, to Championship. I'm so thankful for that ramp because every one of those uh, segments showcases the game and is interesting and fun to experience at this stage, right? It wasn't always that way. And You know, our league, for example, uh, welcomes all games across that spectrum. And we have a community of players that are just so excited to play Underworlds that they'll show up with all three decks
0: (laughs) ready to go. I I definitely uh, make it a point to show up with uh, all three formats holster. I think this last time I came with two championship, one nemesis and one rivals just to just to have options, you know i also want to point out uh in terms of some fun narrative craziness
2: we always love a mad scientist build and the nemesis format especially i think um really lends itself to some mad scientist stuff and we're gonna have some fodder with that with uh space zombies uh flavoring and with different war bands it's gonna be a wild time and shout out because you had mentioned i love this idea uh, Rocket Trolls uh, Warband for Warcry painted up as Space Jam monsters. <laughs> oh, yeah, that oh, no. was <laughs> brilliant. Let
1: me shout out Mike uh, from our Warcry League who uh, likes putting together. He calls it jink um, and finding fun Mimi themes uh, that you can kind of really dig your teeth into. So, um, yeah, hey Mike, thanks for inspiring and making people laugh.
2: <laughs> Indeed. All right,
0: we have White. a Mike, and his name is Ben. <laughs> we do that's that's confusing shout out Uh, ben i think what i'm hearing is that we uh want to get ourselves uh this set painted up and just on hand and off to the side so that anytime we have a brand new player show up whoever whichever one of us is free you can just be like yep come on over here we got this let's do it yeah Um, that's actually an excellent idea for for those looky-loos uh that come sneak over yeah like we got something ready for you right here to whatever, to whatever degree you want to engage with it. So first taste is always free.
4: (laughs) (laughs) One question I think our listeners uh, are eager to hear the answer to is, you know, you're a lapsed player. You know, when GW is looking at this game, you were in it, you were, and then you were out, right? Are you looking to play more Underworlds after this game? Well,
1: yes. Um, uh, it's a little more complicated than that because I'm also a podcast host, a uh, league uh, runner uh, for a different system under the GW banner. But um, th- this certainly takes the pressure off to feel like I've got to jump back into collecting everything to be a part of the hobby. And that's definitely a, a low bar to say, hey, I can't make it out. I can't get to my game on a Tuesday because something is a conflict. Maybe I can come out on Thursday to play this game. And know that I can jump in and, and plus, I mean, I've been jealous prior to us having our War Cry League. I was envious of your guys's healthy, you know, safe space, good boundaries, positive energy kind <laughs> of, sp- you know, stuff. And so, um I, you know, I know that it's a space I can jump into too. Um, so. Yes, I I would love to play some more games of Underworlds uh, for for my Warcry League uh, listening. I'm not abandoning you. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I won't. I won't leave you. We um, weren't
2: ever asking you to abandon them. You know,
1: I, it's, <laughs> I know <laughs> you didn't. But they're gonna well. they're gonna have they're gonna have thoughts, and I just need to head that off uh, here <laughs> live on, it,
4: on the record. Well, and right. on the record, uh, this is an exchange program. Mm. One of us are stuck. <laughs> sorry for the word choice uh with the endeavor of uh moving over to the war cry world yeah. and sampling that trying that out
1: yeah so yep. this this summer when uh our starter box uh comes out would love to have uh one or two or all of you uh uh to to host for a game and come check it out um and we'll We'll have a podcast. We'll we'll share an episode on our side about your experience and uh hope uh hope you all come and listen to that.
0: Happy That's to do it. so. Will yeah. there be yeah, cappuccinos? <laughs> uh, I
1: you've raised the bar. I have to meet the bar or exceed it. I'm yeah. wondering if I need to come in with Kona Ice, uh or something mm-hmm. like that for if you locals, uh Madison locals know Kona Ice. Um it's a different vibe for sure, but it's summertime. So
3: it is Maybe we'll get a uh, tape measure in Skyler's hands yet. Stop!
4: Stop! <laughs> Run! Run! I'll pay oh no! Okay. On that note. On that note, and this I'll should hexes be said. on the
1: board to make you feel better.
4: Thank you. That will I will feel welcome. Uh, what I'm about to say is um, throwing you under a bus, <laughs> and it needs to be said because uh, he's packing up these gorgeous miniatures again. Photos will occur into basic. Tupperware and I look at him and I go the way you're packaging and transporting these gorgeously converted and painted models kills me. And you know what he does? Looks me straight into the windows of my soul and shakes the Tupperware (laughs) and then drops it (laughs) next to him. Some men just want to watch the world
1: burn. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a shock and awe of it. Uh, Psychological. I, I, uh, Skyler and I, I, I messed with his brain at Adepticon playing um, uh, Blood on the Watch on the oh, Clock Tower, uh, <laughs> so I'm just continuing the the mystique of it all.
4: I yeah. looked instead of at Eric because I needed to break that engagement. Right, staring into my soul as he does this, looked over at Brian hosting. Uh, this uh, this starter game, and I say either he's leaving or I am, <laughs> <laughs> and I left.
0: I left right away.
4: After, well,
0: after a taco. All right. Well, speaking of leaving, we need to leave this podcast. All right. So uh, we uh, would love to hear from you as always. You can get us at wthcast and whatthehexcast at gmail.com dot uh, Eric, if they want to talk to you about uh, some Dogs of Warcry stuff, what's your contact yeah, information? Yeah, come to
1: our Discord, uh, mm. realms.com forward slash Discord, and chat with us on our uh, Warcry uh, um, channel, on our Underworlds channel, our AOS channel. I'm not on Twitter that much anymore, uh, so that's where you can find me. Come check us out.
4: That's yeah. that's our Discord. <laughs> <laughs> same
0: same. Hey, and if you do come in, engage in whatever way you want to. But uh, it really makes our day if you if you mention like, hey, you know, every time I see someone says, hey, I, I, we heard this podcast or that podcast, and we thought we'd come check it out. Uh, it, it's it's fun to make that connection. Yeah, so, we're keeping score. Yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, hash marks carved into the wall here. Uh, there is a lot more content on themortalrealms.com. Uh, more experiments happening all the time. Uh, we have our our four main podcasts, Pat's the Story, Dogs of War Cry, uh, The Mortal Realms, a.k.a. the Story Phase, and of course, this one that you already found and are listening to, What the Hex. Uh, you can find links to all our stuff there. Coming up, I think this podcast, it's been a while since we got to really cover some championship play, so I think we're going to cover that in some way be it uh builds or a battle report or a live deck build there's there's some options uh and we're a little ways out but um uh, we'll be coming at you likely with that unless like I said a big shift in underworld's news comes out that we uh, have to address uh Eric you probably are aware of this uh, we do do a flavor text quiz here you're part of this you're Ooh. stuck in this now so uh the way this works is I read off the Flavor text from a card, and you try to guess what that minute, card so is. So, after me
1: telling you that one of my fears is having to know all the other cards <laughs> that everyone else has, you're going to put me in front on a test in Listen, front of Tupperware oh, Shaker.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lay it on me, Davey.
3: Play the well, game. This is,
0: everyone is, is welcome to, to uh, answer here, but this one, uh, there, is, there is no uh, attribution for this quote. It's the, uh, the nameless narrator. Nagash denies the gift of eternal rest to those who defied his will. Annihilation good good uh, attempt there this is uh this is a card that would have been in the starter set here uh oh. and for the other guys it uh is I'll, it
3: uh restless dead it's it, restless it's dead okay yeah. good <laughs> uh
0: all right well with that you recommend listening for this episode is learning it's the title track off of perfume's genius album of the same name uh it's not an artist that i've uh heard a bunch of but uh, it's always been in there something to check out and then I, I found this one and quite enjoyed it uh and that'll do it for what the heck's i've been Davey, and i've been skylar i've been brian and i've been josh and i
1: i have been and i will continue to be eric
0: excellent and uh one more a guest but one known to listeners of this network uh eric how are you perhaps muted he is muted Muted.
1: (laughs) uh i'm a professional yeah Uh,
0: (laughs) i'll give you a better yeah eric how are you for what the heck's i've been davy and i've been skylar i've been brian
3: Josh and I've been muted
0: <laughs> there who did it I'm glad we bookended the uh, accidental mutes there that uh really really <laughs> oh, holds three. the room together and uh, as we began
2: <laughs>